tonight, we continue to talk about the manifestation gifts, and we're going to be focusing on the gift of faith, the gifts of healing, those words are both plural, and the working of miracles. Some translations uh, say the workings of power. So the working of miracles or the workings of power, depending on the translation that you're reading. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 11 to open us up this week, and we'll do the same next week. And Paul says this, verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, or the working of miracles, or the working, workings of power, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, you may have heard it said the discerning of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills, just as he wills. Now, we are, um, we've been talking about 1 Corinthians contextually. We know that Paul was with them uh, some time ago for about a year and a half. I've shared this with you before, but he, uh, it's been probably about five, four to five years since he's been with the Corinthians. Uh, he's obviously received a letter from them. He's heard many things that are going on in the church and among them as people. And really the example that they, that they are to, he's thinking about new believers that are coming into the church and what they're seeing and what they're receiving from their example. And so, of course, he shares in response to their letter, but he's sharing also based on the things that he's heard about. And so we've really talked about how the bad fruit that is coming from some of their ministry is a result of their immaturity. And this letter was highly remedial or correctional. So it's kind of like a father speaking to his sons and daughters, wanting them to not just be rebuked, but get back on track. You know, correction is for that reason. It's not just to rebuke and to leave a rebuke there. It's to get back on track. You know, the word correction means to set right again. In the, in the biblical sense, a lot of the times, especially in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for correction is to set right again, to make things like they were, to put the train Come on, somebody, on the tracks. (laughs) That's what he's trying to do. He's not just rebuking for rebuking's sake. And there's a difference because we see that today. We see a lot of people that are bent on correction really with no purpose, really with no purpose. They just feel like they have a ministry of correction. If the ministry of correction doesn't come with solution, it's truly not fully from the Holy Spirit. You realize that? You realize that? We say, uh, well, I say this at times, but 25% problem, 75% solution. If you start to lean more on the problem, most people stop listening to what you have to say. And there's good reason for that. Because a father, if they overcorrect their children, they tune them out and the children end up on Oprah Winfrey down the road. You understand what I'm saying? Or Dr. Phil or the like. We wound, we overcorrect, we wound because a father's heart or a mother's heart 
is that their sons and their daughters would be raised up to become mature people. And we've got to understand that's what correction is all about. We've got to have a heart bent on people uh, being raised up to be who God wants them to be. And that really is Paul's heart. And we've got to get into that kind of thinking to understand that his correction isn't just about a slap in the face. That's not going to do them any good. He's labored with these guys. I mean, there are points in the letter where he tells them things like, I have opened my heart to you. Like, why are you resisting me? I have literally opened my heart wide to you. He even gets a bit emotional, sometimes sarcastic in this letter. I I like that Paul shows his emotion, and the Bible reveals that for us. And God uses, he used the writers of Scripture uh, somehow, even in in the sense of uh, the Scripture having and carrying authority as it's breathed from God, he still used us in that and uses us today. Obviously, the Scripture is set apart, but... It's amazing how Paul's focusing on this, the correction aspect, wanting to set things right. And what we're doing is we're going through each gift, obviously, but I want to give you those principles that I talked to you about last week, and I'm just going to bullet point them, okay? The, The four principles that we talked about that sort of sum up what we've read, manifestation gifts are expressions of the Holy Spirit. They're not our possessions, they're possessions of the Holy Spirit. All right, they're not just installed into us and we all have one or two or three. These gifts, again, there are three categories of gifts. We're going to go over motivational gifts in two weeks. These gifts are manifestational. They're evidence of the Holy Spirit among us. That every one of us in this room can minister in any nine of these gifts because they're possessions of the Holy Spirit. And to the degree that we are led of the Holy Spirit, we'll be used in these ways. And I, if you remember, I talked to you last week about how when some people focus more on prophecy or they focus more on healing, that's, that usually is because that was the training of the church that they were from. If the church that you go to focuses more on healing, you tend to have that heart about healing, or they focus a lot on evangelism, or they focus a lot on prophecy. You have more training on that, so you have eyes or a heart for it, And it's usually your go-to. But you can be trained on these other manifestation gifts, which is sort of what we're trying to do. We're trying to broaden our shoulders to all that the Holy Spirit gives. And maybe there will be some go-tos in terms of what God uses us in more or more often. But that doesn't mean that we're limited in any way. And so, of course, we're saying that the manifestation gifts are expressions of the Holy Spirit. And we're hearing from and listening to and being used by Him in our ministry. The second point was manifestation gifts benefit the whole church. We care about this. This matters to us. Um, They're available to all. That goes into my third point. Manifestation gifts address the needs of the whole church. And so when you look at the last verse, verse 11, and it says that the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts just as he wills. So he, he has purposes, he knows what's going on with every person in the room, he knows what's going on with every person on the planet, for heaven's sakes, and he knows what to give us so that we can be useful for his purpose to those that are in front of us. Some would call these situational gifts. When the situation arises, it's not that we trust in what we have, we call on who we have, which is the Holy Spirit. They address the needs of the, of the church as we gather. And Paul says, when you gather five times in three chapters, when you gather together, and then he starts the conversation about spiritual gifts. Number four is manifestation gifts are available to the whole church. I've already said that multiple times. If you want to minister in healing because the need for healing is there, we just minister by the Holy Spirit, the gift of healing. And we'll talk about these three tonight, faith, gifts of healing, and working of miracles. The first gift we're going to focus on is the gift of faith. And I want to tell you up front 
that we could spend the entire time just on this gift alone. All of the gifts of the Holy Spirit operate by faith. They really do. If I have time at the end of this class, I will spend the majority of the last class just to talk to you about faith. Faith and taking risks and learning to step out and and really that being the place that we have to land at the end of the day. And um, so when we focus on the gift of faith, uh, I want to give you the definition. The gift of faith is a specific, not general, impartation of confidence in God's power and promises that infuses supernatural courage to step beyond our normal limitations. Now, when I say normal limitations, I need you to understand I'm not talking about normal limitations just in the natural. We all have general faith. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that each one of us was given a measure of faith. And you might have the question, you might not, but I'm presenting a question that you could possibly have, and that would be, well, how come... Adam gets this measure of faith, and, uh, and, and Nate gets a little bit more. I don't know. God knows. The Bible says to each one was given a measure of faith. And so as that's the case, we all have faith in God, and we all have faith for what God wants to do through our lives, but the gift of faith is a specific impartation for something that's in front of us or something that we need to contend for, where we believe in God in a way where uh, we, we usually aren't able to. We're not able to like muster it up in our own strength. And so there's an impartation that comes for that thing and it gives us courage. You know, that kind of, um, that kind of courage that will step beyond any threshold. I mean, it's, it's, it's not the typical. It's beyond that. And you have to realize uh, how, how true that, that that is. We need this kind of courage to believe for things. Now, I've told you before that many of the gifts of the Spirit dovetail into another gift. They work together. And you'll see how the gift of faith really does work with the gifts of healing and the working of miracles, because in order for us to pray for certain things, we've got to have a gift of faith. Uh, and I'll talk to you a little bit about healing when I get there. I want to jump ahead, but we, we, really, um, we really can't. Now, let me just tell you about faith in general. The Bible uses the word faith in several different ways, and we don't want to confuse them as we're we're talking about a specific thing here. The term faith in Greek has a few meanings, uh, but what we're mostly referring to is the ability to believe, trust, and fully rely upon, and of course, we're talking about God. Now, the word faith uh, in Greek is not a holy word. It's used in other contexts and other writings outside of Scripture. you got to realize that. People use the word faith in English today in all kinds of ways, like, hey, I got faith in you. I got faith in you that you can do it. Now, we're not, that word in and of itself has a meaning apart from the way in which we're using it. So we're simply saying that the word faith means to believe in and fully rely upon. It's the, that ability that God gives us. Now, when you look at like Ephesians chapter 2, it says, for by grace you were saved through faith, which is a gift of God. People say, well, Which one's the gift, grace or faith? Here's the answer, both. (laughs) Grace is the gift of God, which really is manifested through the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. That's God's unmerited favor on our behalf. Jesus did what we could not do. That's the grace of God. Faith is the ability to believe. God gives both of those to us. It's very important to know that. So I I look at it like this, uh, 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 like a plug-in or a receptacle. Uh, That's what grace is. And faith is the plug. We get the choice to plug it in. Because I'm not a Calvinist, and if you don't know what that means, you're better off. 
But I don't, I don't believe that God forces us to make that choice. But I do believe God gives us everything that we need so that that choice could be made and it could be connected. We don't save ourselves. Jesus is the one that paid the price. But he also gives us the ability to believe that that price was paid and what that price is. So we take that plug and we plug it in and the power of salvation flows in, into our life. And that's, of course, what I believe. There's lots of debates about how salvation happens, but I'm just sharing with you. I got the microphone. And I've had these debates so much, I don't really care what people think about that. So, as Christians, we know that faith is not a thing in and of itself, but rather it's, it's the plug that we were given to connect to the receptacle of God's promises. Now, again, here's the important part. We put our faith in what God says. Faith is not a thing in and of itself. Faith is something that we put into our trust, our reliance upon what God has said. Okay, We don't put faith in ourselves, uh, although you can do that. I talk to people that do that. They believe mind over matter. They believe that they can get themselves from, from, uh, from here to the next life without God. Uh, that's obviously not going to work. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it men of old gained approval. So faith is living with a supernatural conviction of assurance of what God has said that supersedes the realm of the physical. Right? So here's what we see, but God gives us the ability to believe beyond what we see according to his word. So we believe what his word says even when we don't see it right in front of us. We need faith in God and in, and in his word, and we thank him for giving that to us. So faith, and I'm talking about faith in general, not the gift of faith yet, but faith bridges the gap between what we hear and what we see in the natural, and it also causes us to be able to act. It moves us to action. That's why you'll see all over the scripture, over 250 times this word is mentioned just in the New Testament, and you'll see faith is attached to action constantly, all the time. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. Now, there are different kinds of faith mentioned in the Bible. I'm just going to go over the four that I have pulled out. That I, this is, this is, these are my terms. Uh, I mean, most of them are scriptural terms, but I've, I've used them a little liberally here. Uh, but the first is the faith. Now, this term refers to the allegiance that all Christians share of a saving knowledge of Jesus. So what you'll, in these scriptures that I listed there, I think you have them. But what you'll notice is sometimes in the Bible, Paul will be talking about the faith. Okay, The, the faith is referred to. And the faith is just this, like I said, you, this universal, uh, the term is, is the allegiance that we all have universally, all Christians have uh, as we follow Jesus. Talking about the faith, the same faith that we all share in Jesus Christ. That's mentioned in the Bible. We don't want to confuse these, okay? It's used different ways. Saving faith is, is number two. This term we use to describe the initial faith we exercise in believing upon Jesus for salvation. That's called saving faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 1 Peter 1, 5, 2 Timothy 3, 15. There's actually a lot of them. These are just some of the ones that came to me when I, when I was putting the notes together. And so God gives us the ability to believe in Jesus Christ and, and our sins to be forgiven, us to turn from our, our own way of living and turn towards him and follow him for the rest of our lives in Jesus' name, and we will be saved. We're regenerated at that point. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. That's saving faith. And it's important when you make that distinction in the Bible, um, that is actually, there's, there are these distinctives that are in the text. And you, ha you have to know that. So you have to know which one is being talked about. And of course, as we talked about in class one, context always defines that for us, but we're not always paying attention, so we need to. 
Number three is general faith. Now, I don't know what else to call it. Some people call it ever-increasing faith, working faith. I'm just calling it general faith. As a Christian, we have general faith, which is just faith in God, faith in God's promises. To be- it's not really what we're believing in, which is Christ, saving faith, but it's what we're believing for. That's how I would define that. It's not just what we're believing in, that's saving faith, but it's what we're believing for. What are you believing God for, according to his word? Right now, what are you believing God for? You can see that by what you're praying for. If you look at what you're praying about right now, you can tell what you're believing God for, right, right then and, and, and right there. Now, so this is, uh, uh, as Christians, we're believing God to move through our prayers and activity as it relates to his will. There are hundreds of references for this uh, in, uh, as we live our Christian life. I can just think of ones, like in the Gospels, you look at uh, faith is being, is, is being exercised in multiple ways. Demons are coming out of people. All kinds of things are happening. It's awesome. Uh, number four is the gift of faith or special faith, which is what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The gift of faith is a specific impartation. I am reiterating myself, notice, the specific impartation of confidence in God's power and promises that infuses supernatural courage to step beyond our normal lim- limitations. Now, some of the scriptural references are John chapter 6, verse 1 through 14. I love preaching on this. The five loaves and two fish, where Jesus uh, multiplied the five loaves and the two fish. He took a little boy's lunch and made it enough for 5,000 plus people. Uh, that was a miracle of provision, and uh, it took faith to do that. What do you mean? Well, remember when he gave thanks to the father, and he broke the bread, and then he, they started distributing. He gave it to the boys, and the boys started distributing, and as they were distributing, it was multiplied. Well, you don't just do that without some kind of real infusion of faith. Jesus clearly was the son of God, so he had that, but it's, he's an example for us, and we see that there was, a, there was a confidence in Jesus that this was going to happen. Okay, and I've got stories of that happening um, today as well, and, and uh, Jackie's here, you know, at the Rancho, they've had that happen multiple times, where food has been multiplied, multiple times that's happened, and I've actually heard of it happening in other places as well, where food needs to be multiplied, you understand what I'm saying? There isn't enough food, matter of fact, I've heard stories um, of some people that I know, credible people, there are, there are a lot of uh, incredible ministries, incredible people, I'm, I'm looking for the credible, you know, we would... You guys follow me on that? So a lot of people that say stuff and don't back it up, but I know some people where they literally had no food um, and they had no gas in their car and they would pray every morning uh, before they would go outside and they would ask God for specific things and those specific things would show up on their doorstep. I mean, they would ask for specific things like eggs and this and that and whatever, and, and they, they would have knocks on their door, and they would have, there was one story where a guy was telling me about how his son, I think he was like six years old, was praying for a specific kind of cereal. You know, he hadn't, had never had it, he had heard about it or whatever, and that was literally on their doorstep when they came outside. That's pretty cool. What do you guys think about that? I mean, that hasn't happened to me, but I think that's pretty cool. And if you were raised in that as a six-year-old, I think it would, think it would change you. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10, Peter and John heal the lame man sitting at the gate, uh, the gate called Beautiful as they're on their way to prayer. And they're, they're obviously going to the temple, and there's the lame man that's sitting there, and he's asking for alms. Peter and John, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And it, he literally just pulls the guy up. I mean, could you imagine? That's 
That takes faith to grab somebody's hand and pull him up, knowing that he's going to walk. Okay? So that, that takes faith to do that. It, it, these gifts dovetail into one another, the gift of healing and the gift of faith. You don't step out to heal the sick unless you have that kind of faith. You don't grab somebody that's lame, that has never walked, and pull them up because they're just going to fall right, you know, they're going to, you, you're in your mind, psychologically, you're thinking they're going to fall back down. Does anybody struggle with some of those doubts? I'm just looking at you guys. Anybody have any of that floating through their mind? Yeah, of course you do. That's why you don't do that kind of stuff all the time. And so as God wants us to minister, not for our fame, but for the glory of Jesus Christ, to love on people where, wherever they are and whatever circumstance they're in, he gives us this kind of faith to act. And we see that in Acts chapter 3. We also see in Acts chapter 16, verse 14 through 21, Paul commanded a demon to come out of a slave girl who practiced divination. She was actually, uh, she was a slave and was being used by, uh, being used by those that own her uh, to, you know, tell people's fortunes and whatnot. And so she's following behind Paul and she's saying like, hey, these men are, are servants of the most high God. She was saying some accurate, fairly accurate stuff. And Paul, it says Paul getting annoyed, turned around and rebuked, casted the demon out of her. And that spirit of divination came out of her, and then she was no good to her masters anymore, so they, of course, got upset with Paul. But it takes faith to turn around and look somebody in the face and say, I command you, come out now. I mean, how many times have you done that? I mean, I've been to a lot of psychic fairs, but you don't see me walking around all the time looking at somebody. I command that spirit of divination. Sorry, I should point to nobody. I apologize. I command that spirit of divination to come out. You know, we walk around and talk big, and that's why I think one of the reasons why we have so much theological pride is because we lack action. So the only thing that we can do is get smarter in our head. Uh, yeah, that's a great word. We lack action, so we read a lot of books, and we use that action of reading books to make us think that we're, because we're smarter and we know something, that somehow that is spirituality. You know it's not spirituality. That's a portion of our spirituality, to learn and to grow that way. But there's only a certain extent that you can grow by reading. You realize that, don't you? There's a point at which you can't grow anymore by reading. You have to live it. And if you don't live it and you keep reading about it, you're going to get as frustrated as when you started that process. Because in order to really learn something, you've got to start taking steps. A baby doesn't learn to walk until they walk. Mom and dad can read the baby walk book to them until they're 11 years old, but if they don't walk, they don't know, right? You don't learn to drive a car unless you put the keys in the ignition and get in the driver's seat. You've got to learn, but you still have to take the test, ladies and gentlemen. You still have to go and learn about it, but it becomes real the minute you get in the driver's seat. Now, there are a lot of people who are driving on the road that should go back and take said courses. Just throwing that out there. I'm thinking that our world could use a little bit more edumacation on the road. But the truth is, is that learning isn't just one way. It's all those combined. We need it all, okay? And so faith is that bridge. It's that connection point from where we are to acting. <laughs> and gosh, we need, we need to act, don't we? This means yes. You can, it's okay. You can admit that. Gonna get fun. Okay, so the function of the gift of faith. Just three things. There's lots more, but causes us to receive. The gift of faith causes us to receive. 
All of the gifts operate by faith. The gift of faith causes us to receive from God. Now, you can receive miracles from God, but that's not the same as the working of miracles. What faith, in my mind, is, is faith is the ability to believe and the working of miracles, see how they dovetail together or other gifts. The working of miracles is where we act, but faith is that causing us to act, which makes that happen. They work together. It's very, very powerful. And so working of miracles is working out of what we've received by faith. And it's, again, a specific thing that we receive by faith. It's not just general faith that we're talking about. It's mountain-moving faith. Big stuff, usually. Um, this, uh, the, the second one is it causes us to be bold. We may have a prophetic word or we're carrying a declaration for the church and we need boldness. Um, I remember the Lord twice has given me a word about people, uh, people having their eyes healed. And I know when I give that word that everybody that has glasses, including myself, is going to come up. I mean, if I just said tonight, if I said God's going to heal everybody's eyes in the room, if you have glasses on, hopefully you'd get in line or contacts. And I don't know you should be wearing glasses, but you have contacts. They're hidden glasses. <laughs> but I've done that twice. And it takes great faith to say that. Right? It takes great faith to say that. I mean, if you're a charlatan and you're just like a TV preacher and, and you just want money and, and to have weird services, you know, maybe it doesn't take anything other than just a big show. But if you sincerely follow Jesus Christ and, and you spend time with the Lord, it takes a lot of faith to say, God's going to heal eyeballs in the room tonight. Because you know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to stand with every person that comes up. And I've done that before. I've done that. I've laid hands on 11 people, 12 people, 13 people right in a row and prayed for their eyes after saying that God was going to heal someone's eyes. People say, oh, that's easy. Mm, no, it's not. All your insecurities rise to the surface. Right? And you go, I don't have any. Well, when you stand in that line, you, they come up. They come up. But the one time that we did that, I remember, uh, it was the first time I'd ever said anything about eyes. And I had never seen any eyes healed before. Never seen it. I, I'd seen other things happen, but there was one of, I was a little hesitant about eyes for obvious reasons. And so I, I remember getting that word, and, and uh, there, there have been more difficult ones since then, but I remember when it happened, and I was up here, and I shared that, and I think we had a whole line of people come up, and I prayed, and, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. And I just went home, you know, I went home. And then I got a phone call the next day, and somebody got up in the morning that has never remembered a time in their life without glasses, without being able to read without glasses. They woke up in the morning and opened their Bible without their glasses on and started reading and realized somewhere halfway through their devotions that they didn't have glasses on. Freaked out. And they were part of this program and they called me and they said, hey, this happened. We want you to know we're going to the doctor to get this made official. We're going to go to the doctor to get this made official. And they went to the doctor, and they made it official, and they had 20-20 vision in both eyes. Now, now you can clap, but there were still 10 people that, that I never heard about that didn't, including myself, by the way, because, you know, see what I'm saying? <laughs> people say to me, well, why the one and not the 10? I don't know. I don't know. It took a lot of faith. It took a gift of faith for me to step up and say that, Right? And it wasn't random, it wasn't, it was, it wouldn't leave me alone, it wouldn't leave me alone, it was itching on the inside, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. And I'm like, okay, 
<laughs> but there was this courage that came to do what I normally wouldn't do. Like I said, there are a lot of people that just shotgun things that come to their head. But I don't know, I'm not speaking for them, but may, maybe they don't sincerely walk before the Lord. I don't know. But I've, I've been among people who say a lot of stuff and there's not a lot of fruit. I've been among people who say a lot of stuff and there's not a lot of fruit. And they have these sp spiritual frenzied services and they love that hype, but there's not a lot of fruit. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fruit that follows. All right? And we need faith to step out in this kind of courage to see greater things happen for the glory of Jesus Christ and also for the help, to help people, which is what love is. Love is having the best interest of someone else in mind in word and in action. That's what love is all about. So surely this is that way. And, and um, <clears throat> the third is causes us to persevere. We may be weary in prayer or believing very little and you ever believe God for something and you're, you haven't seen it happen and then your faith begins to just wane? And the Lord's promised you something, whether it's just clearly in Scripture, it's right there. There's a promise of God that is, is not just Israel in the wilderness, but it's a clear general Scripture or general promise from the Word for all people for all time. It's, it's right there. It's for us. And you've believed God for that and then you become weary. Have you ever become weary before? I have. And then your prayers start to get a little weak. God, just whatever you can do, Lord, do it. You know, I don't know. I don't even know. Thanks for the Starbucks. I mean, you just get to a point where there's not much in the tank in your prayer life, right? You ever prayed for somebody that has addictions and nothing's happened time and time again? You know, it takes, we want the gift of faith because the gift of faith will surge that confidence back in us to pray and to, to continue to persevere in the place of which God has promised Right? Not just for action, but also prayer as an action as, as well. Causes us to be able, uh, be able to pray those things with faith and confidence. Not having to muster it up on our own, but believing the promise of God. And our mind just all of a sudden gets renewed when that surge happens as God imparts that. So we need this. We need this uh, in, in a greater way. And I, I was asking the Lord for that, and we will at the end of the, our time together tonight. We, we need this. We need this in the church. I've been on prayer teams, I, I've led the prayer teams for a long time, for me at least, and people come up with every kind of illness, ailment that you can imagine, and it is, it's never gets easier for me to lay hands on somebody who's suffering, who's going through difficulty, and uh, somehow, and believe, it, it's, just, it's not like an easy thing, like you've got to have your mind and heart in God to do that. I mean, you really do. If you're going to be sincere about that, you've got to have your mind, you've got to be prayed up. You know, you've got to have, you've got to have a resilient heart to be doing that for a long period of time. You just do. I mean, I've seen it all. Cancer, I've seen kids come into my office that are, that are uh, speaking demonic stuff and, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, I've seen crazy stuff, crazy stuff. And, uh, and what I do is I just ask God to move. I don't know what else to do. I mean, I'm not a counselor. I don't get all this stuff. Kids go through some stuff. Kids go through some crazy things. They come through my door and, and I, I just need the gift of faith to believe God to move where there's simply nothing that I can do. And you need that gift. We need that gift. We need God to renew that in a greater way. Now, the gifts of healing, number two, second gift we want to talk about, the gifts of healing. Here's the definition. We might spend a little bit of time here. It's the ability to bring supernatural restoration of an ailment removal of a disease, and relieving of pain through prayer. 
Now, I worked really hard on this definition, so we're going to say it again. The ability to bring supernatural restoration of an ailment, removal of a disease, and relieving of pain through prayer. This gift is ministered through prayer, and it can be gradual or instantaneous. When we lay hands on people and release a gift of healing, it doesn't always happen immediately. I know that's what we want, but a lot of times people are healed gradually, and that prayer, that release of the gift of healing, is that goes into that area, and God begins to heal from that point. That happens all the time. I mean, I remember, uh, just for example, uh, I, was, I, had a, I had a back thing, you know, like, um, I've had it a couple times, but I had to, it was like a knot in the middle of my back, and it was super painful. I couldn't sleep very well. It's kind of like that thing, like if you're laying down on, on your back, you could feel where the knot is in your back. It's so unusual to have that. You know yourself. You know what it feels like to lay down. And, and it just, it's, it's like you have like something, like a, a tennis ball in your back. You're laying down on a tennis ball is what, it, is what it felt like. It wasn't that big, but you know, just something that uncomfortable for me. And it just wouldn't go away. There's nothing that I could do about it. It wouldn't go away. And so we're, Bridget and I had some friends over, and we're walking to the door, and I just told them, oh, I have this thing in my back, and would you just pray? And my friend puts his hand right, I didn't, I told him it was in my lower back, but he puts his hand right on it. I mean, he just got right to that spot and, and just prayed a very simple prayer. It was no, no eloquent deal, no big deal. He just prayed a very simple prayer in Jesus' name. And nothing happened. I felt no goose bumps, no glory bumps, right? I didn't feel anything. The environment didn't change, right? There was no voice booming from heaven. Nothing happened, literally. I still felt the knot. The next day I woke up, and I just remember going, oh, you know, like, this, I just feel totally normal. And I went through the day without praising God at all and realizing I sat in my chair and the knot's gone. And I mean, I had made it to three different places where normally I would feel that tennis ball in my back and I didn't praise God yet. And finally I realized through the day, that thing is gone. And it had been there for weeks and weeks. But it didn't happen instantaneously. And often that is the, that is the case with gifts of, of healing when we pray. Now, there is a plural terminology where it says gifts of healing healings. Now, it's important for us to realize there's, it doesn't say why the plurality is there, and I think today I picked up several different views on this. Uh, there's a lot of different opinions why it's plural, and none of us know because it doesn't actually tell us, so we stay with Scripture on this. My opinion is possibly because some of the Scriptures that I'm going to bring up to you is that there are different kinds of diseases. There are different kinds of sicknesses, that's like a, an opinion. That's really not what Scripture says, but it's, it's maybe a possibility. Different kinds of diseases, different kinds of uh, sickness. Sickness comes from, now, can I give you a little short theology on sickness? Because I know there's a, this is a sticky issue. This can be very much that way. Sickness and disease, ailments, all of them, every one of them, truly come from sin, not personal sin, original sin. If the world didn't have sin imparted through Adam and Eve, we would not have sickness. Can we all say amen? amen. Sin or sickness is a byproduct of sin, not personal, original. Okay? 
or this, this wouldn't be the case today. The Bible actually says that all of creation was subjected to futility. So everything is not as it's supposed to be, and in Jesus, all things are going to be summed up. When Jesus went to the cross, what he paid for was sin as a condition. Not just the little things that you do, like, Jesus, forgive me, will you save me for overspending? You know, that's not what we're being saved from. We are being saved from a condition that we have inherited through humanity's brokenness that happened on that day that has come down through every person that has been born ever since Adam and Eve. It's it's a sin sickness. It's a disease that we have. And Jesus brought the cure. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died our death. He died the death in our place. When we believe on that, we're forgiven for our, not just our sins, but our sin condition. He is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And when you go through Romans, you see the word sins and sin. And there's a difference. Sin is a condition. Sins as an action. This is like theological. We'll get into that when we do our systematic theology classes in the fall. So hopefully you guys will be able to go through that with me. But it's really important that we know the difference. So some people would say, well, did this sickness come as a result of my sin? And they're usually asking, like, what did I do for God to punish me like this? Well, humanity was inside Adam and Eve, right? And original sin, the concept of original sin, which I won't go too far into, is that all of humanity was in them. So some people say really strange things at times. They go, well, if I was Adam or if I was Eve, I would have never done that. No, the the idea of original sin is that Adam, the name Adam means man. All of us were in Adam. All of us were in Eve. We were all there on that day, believe it or not, because we are created of that order. We come from that line. If it was you, you would have done the same thing. Sorry, Eve. You would have done the same thing. Sorry, Adam, you would have done the same thing. That's the concept of original sin. We all participated, okay, because we're all human beings. We're all of the same kind. So because of sin, we have sickness. When Jesus gave his life, he paid the price for sin. His atonement covered, paid for sin as a condition and the effects of sin, the byproducts of sin. That's why people today, depending on where you're at theologically, believe by his stripes we are healed. Now, if we're not healed in this life, we are going to be healed. So it's actually a reality that we are physically healed through the atonement of Jesus Christ because he paid not just to forgive us from our sin, sins, but from our condition of sin and all the effects that come from it. All of the brokenness of all this world, Jesus paid for. It wasn't just the little staple that I stole from my office that Jesus was paying for. He was actually carrying all of sin on him and the condition or the effects of that sin from the moment that Adam and Eve did what they did. It's the truth. And so when we pray for people and we release the gift of healing, what we are saying is God is breaking into this world, doing what God does, making things right because we're the ones that brought it to where it is. So whenever people think that God is punishing them in their sickness, it is wrong thinking. God does not give sickness. We are the ones that brought all of this on ourselves. You realize that? 
You say, well, how do you know that? I mean, people have pointed me to scriptures in the Old Testament, and the first thing I'm gonna tell you is that, first of all, that's the Old Testament. And we honor the Old Testament, but there were things that God did to preserve the messianic line so that Jesus would be born when he was born, how he was born, and where he was born. There were specific judgments in the Old Testament. There was specific severity in the Old Testament because he had 330 some odd prophecies to bring the Son of God. So there were some very specific judgments that were passed down. People have appointed me to Isaiah, and uh, there's a passage there that says, am I not, you know, the God who causes good and causes calamity? And I, and I always ask people, because we struggle with this, and we, we isolate these little verses in the Old Testament. We go, see, God gives sickness. And I go, basic Bible study. Who's writing? Who are they writing to? Who are they writing about? And does that apply to your sickness that you're experiencing right now? I'm just asking a question. There's a passage that people have pointed me to, and I'm going like, that is talking, that is an international prophet named Isaiah talking to an international king and telling him that God is the God of all gods. There is no other. If there is, show me. Am I not the one that can bring you down? Am I not the one that can raise you up? It doesn't seem to apply on the level of you getting a hangnail. Or a sickness. I'm exaggerating, but I'm just trying to prove a point. It's not the same thing. Jesus took all of the punishment on him. And I'm asking you a question tonight. Do you think Jesus suffered enough? I think Jesus suffered for for all of us. So the sickness that we have, the cancer that my friend has, or your parents have, or 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 the, the sickness or the illness or the disease or whatever you might have in your body right now, it didn't come from God. What did Jesus do in the Gospels? He went around doing good. This is what it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. This speaks of Jesus' ministry. God revealed his heart in Jesus Christ, and this is what Jesus did. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good, and here's what good is defined by, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Isn't that interesting? It talks about who Jesus was and what Jesus did. One-third of the Gospels is Jesus healing people. You can't get away from it. And whenever we have a twisted view of God, somehow God is punishing us with this stuff. You can say, well, what about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? Man, that's a pretty weird exception, though, don't you think? (laughs) Or 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where some people were falling asleep because they weren't discerning the body of the Lord very well. That's a pretty strange exception, which most scholars don't even agree on what that exactly means. What we do know is we can't overlook the fact that Jesus stepped into our world and healed people everywhere he went. And then he said to the disciples, you shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And then it says in James chapter 5, if anyone among you is sick, call the elders of the church and anoint them with oil and pray, pray the prayer of faith and have them confess their sins, and the sick person will be raised up. People say to me, well, why don't more people get healed in the church? I think it's, it's a simple recipe. If you're sick, get prayer. I think if we had more prayer, we would have more healing. So until we do that, I don't think there's really a reason to criticize anything. I think I'm being really fair here. I, I don't think this is rocket science. But there's a lot of people that have opinions, and it's, it's being a theoretician, 
We have theories about things. Well, we got to be practitioners. We've got to be people that are practicing this. Pray for 100 sick people until we have an opinion. Pray for 1,000 sick people until we have an opinion about this. But your mindset on sickness determines how in which you go about releasing the gift of healing. Isn't that true? Because if you believe, like, this actually could be from God. Now, I'm going to get a little controversial. I don't think I have yet, but I'm going to. Are you guys okay? Now, I know people differ with me on this, and that's okay. I have lots of discussions about this. I'm okay, I'm okay with people feeling differently on this. We, we can all still go to heaven. Okay. It's okay. But it's important that we talk about our position on sickness and illness. It's really important. Because who's the one that's the giver of that sickness? Okay? Who's the one that's the giver of that sickness? Now, there are occasions where the enemy can give that sickness. Uh, we see that in scripture. I, I don't have the scripture at hand, but there are times where Jesus would literally rebuke a spirit, and it was a spirit of infirmity. So that, that actually happens. But you can't find a time, hardly ever, except for like a, a, a real serious scenario of where God gave something to somebody, some kind of calamity. There are very few and far between, and most of them are extremely obscure and primarily in the Old Testament. Just the few in the New Testament are very difficult to understand. Outside of that, we do know that Jesus healed the sick, he gave the apostles the power to heal the sick, and he told us in James chapter five, and there are other places where it talks about healing. Now, we still have sickness among us. So I believe what we are doing is we're growing in faith, but part of the way that we grow in faith is to actually believe whether or not God heals people today. And I would say, by and large, a lot of people don't believe that. You say, well, of course we believe God is able, but if we believe God is able, then it should cause us to step into praying for the sick. Otherwise, we're a theoretician. We're not a practitioner. We've got to act on what we believe. We can't say we believe something and not act on it. It just shows that we're not sure about what should be done as a result of what we believe. So we've got to step into action. And that's why I'm encouraging us, if we're going to minister in the gifts of the Spirit and we believe that God by His Spirit will give healing, then we've got to pray for a lot more people than we're praying for right now. You say, Ben, why are you saying that? Because that's my conviction. I've got as many sick people in my life as you do. I've been, I've been here at this church 12 years. We've seen people die. I've sat with people in hospice care facilities. I've gone to visit dying babies. I've held them in, in my hands. I'm not being a theoretician. I'm just saying that God brings healing. And I haven't seen everybody healed, but I am hungry to see God do more of that for the sake of others. Not because I want to be on a TV screen or because I want to tell you about a testimony. I just want to see God move, just like I read about in Scripture. That's it. It's just that simple. God doesn't give the gift of sickness. One of the gals, really good friends of, of my wife and I, uh, I don't know if my grammar was right there, but forgive me. Anyways, all right, so she has a condition. We've prayed for her I don't know how many times. We're, we're good friends, very close. She has, a, she has a very serious condition. She's one of the many of our friends that have a very serious condition. I, I've got th little things uh, that I've had. God's healed me of some stuff. <clears throat> but she's got a very serious, something I don't even understand. I can't, I can't imagine the pain that she goes through. Uh, but really close friend of ours. And one day we were sitting there, and she was, on our, she was on our team at the time, and she said, you know, and I know this is gonna be sensitive, so you gotta give, everybody, can you give me grace on this? Can you? I hope, because we're Christians, right? Just, just checking, checking the old Christian pulse there. Because we get offended on this stuff really easily. And we need, we, we kind of, 
we need to not be able to go there that quickly. But she said to me, if I didn't have this sickness, I wouldn't be as close to God as I am right now. She said that to me. And before you shake your head yes, let me tell you what I told her. And remember, I'm her very good friend to this day, long after I said this to her. I told her, I said, that is not true. That's not true. She said, if I did not have this sickness, I would not be as close to God as I am right now. And I told her, that's not true. And I'll stand by that. Because I don't think that we need sickness to know that God is good. And I don't think that we need sickness to somehow learn about God's goodness and who he really is. I think we just need a revelation of the cross of Jesus Christ. I believe the gospel. I believe the gospel is the power of God to those who are being saved. It is the power of God to change our hearts. It's the power of God to change our lives. That's my theology. And so whenever we say something different, I'm not, hear, hear, hear me though, okay, because you're going to ask some questions here. Now, I'm not saying that because of what she's gone through that she hasn't drawn close to the Lord. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that God doesn't use all things, right? Uh, God doesn't use all things together for good, but it doesn't mean that he authors all things in order to achieve good. There's a difference. But what we've done is we've adopted a mindset that says that God had to do this to me or allow this. There's another way of saying it. God had to allow me uh, to, to, to have this sickness or illness because if it didn't happen to me, then I would not be as close to him as, as I am right now. That is absolutely not true. And, and just, just by common sense, you know that you don't even know that you can say that because you haven't been able to go through those years without it in order to see what life would be like. So just basic common sense says we don't really know. We're saying that as a coping mechanism to feel better about where we're at. And I'm not, I'm not putting down anybody's experience. I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, uh, lack sympathy. I'm not trying to say that you or anybody you know hasn't gone through difficult times and had to draw from God, of course. There's a lot of great teaching on that where we have to come to God and we have to draw on God and we have to, we have to give our hearts to him. We have to persevere. And I'm not saying that. We all are broken. We're all walking through brokenness. We're all, but we've got to have our mind made up. God didn't do that to you. I'm, I'm completely convinced. God doesn't give sickness. You say, well, God, God allows sickness. Well, God allowed us to sin. And where did it come from? So I, I agree with that to, to, to the extent that we understand where this all comes from. Are you guys following me? Are we, can we breathe? <laughs> But I want to tell you something. My wife and I have lost plenty of people, and none of them in the Lord got a downgrade. Every one of them got an upgrade. By the way, heaven is not a downgrade in Jesus' name. It's not. It's not. And so and when I think of healing, I first think of healing in the physical, in the, in the world that we live in and occupy. But I also am very... 
I believe this with all my heart, that we live not in a temporal perspective, but we live in an eternal perspective, and that, like my grandma, for example, who lived with terminally ill cancer and had her leg cut off two different times at two different levels and had to live with one leg almost all of her life, she believed that God was going to give her a new leg. She went to the full gospel businessmen's association meetings, and they said, sister, God's going to give you a new leg, and she believed it until the day that she went home to be with the Lord, and she has a new leg. I believe that. But one thing I love about my grandmother is that she was a woman of faith. She had phantom pains that I can't even imagine, and I never heard her complain one time. Never heard her complain. I can't even imagine. I would be complaining all over the place. I'm being honest with you. I would probably be a wimp. I mean, I don't know. But I look up to people like her. I look up to people like her because I feel like what she did was she stewarded the truth of God even though it wasn't her experience. She saw beyond it. Our pastoral administrator, Lisa Laverne, who is a close friend of my wife and I, lost her husband back in November to cancer. We've had other people in our church we've lost to cancer. And I have not seen many people except for, I mean, in our church we've walked closely with a, with a handful of people. I have watched them have faith in God, and I can honestly tell you there's nothing more that they could have done. And they pressed into the Lord, and they believed God for healing, and healing didn't manifest in this life, but it did manifest on the other side, fully and completely. I'm not giving you a one-sided theology here. I believe what you believe. I'm just saying on this side of that theology, we can't have a lesser version that somehow looks at God as though he's kind of really at the, at the helm of giving it to us. I, I wanna back up and analyze some of that stuff that we say that's not really accurate. Do you, are you with me? You hear my heart in this? Because I walk with people, okay? So it's not like I get out of that. And I don't pat people on the back and patronize anybody. Well, you know, someday you'll believe. I've watched people walk by faith and have great faith in God to be healed, and it didn't happen. And that's part of the mystery to me, and I'm very sensitive to that, very sensitive to that. But I'm also very sensitive to any comment that even closely sounds like God's the one that, that did this to me. Even if they don't say it or we don't say it, sometimes we're saying it in another way, right? We're saying God had to teach me a lesson. We're saying if I didn't have this sickness, there's no way I would know God like I do. No, it's not true. But because you were a faith-filled Christian in the midst of your sickness, you didn't waste that, that experience, and you came to God, and you did what all of us should do every day. And you were an example. You were a model to us. That's what you were. You were a Christian no matter what you went through in your life. And you showed us what it means to be a real Christian. We shouldn't we shouldn't have to have something tragic happen to us in order for us to follow Jesus like the scriptures teach. Do, do you see how that gets off? I'm doing the best I can here. I hope you see it. It's uncomfortable to talk like this, but it's hard. I mean, I remember telling my friend that, and there are people, people that have probably left the church because I talk like this, but it's, it's, it's because they're not hearing me right. Because I can bring up lots of scriptures that you and I have to struggle with. And you can't just write them off. You just can't. It's easy to do that and just say, well, you know, I mean, but. There's some mis mystery to levels of this, and I'll admit it, but at the same time, there are very clear things. Jesus came and he healed people. He told the apostles to heal people. In James chapter 5, it's very clear about how we're to function. If anybody is sick, call the elders of the church, anoint them with oil, and pray for them. 
And if we're doing that and somebody among us does not get healed, we can believe that as they go home to be with the Lord, we can, we can hold our head up high in the mystery of that, knowing that we did what, what we were supposed to do, right? While we contended for, for, for people to be healed, we trusted the Lord in, in anything that happened. That's what we're talking about. You guys, you guys look like a tree full of owls, just... And if this is sensitive to you, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not insensitive to whatever you've had to go through. I'm just saying that this is what causes me to actually pray for people. You know, it's what causes me to pray for people. Lots of experiences. I remember when Todd Laverne, our, our friend, he, he, he would come to our healing teams upstairs. He would come with his, he'd bring in all of his equipment. He, means he's, he was dying from cancer. And he would come, he would come to get prayed for every Wednesday night. And I just looked at him. I remember I was sitting down uh, on the couch with him. He was across the way, and him and Lisa were there. And I just looked at him, and there were a bunch of people that were getting prayed for. And I just said, Todd, Lisa, will you tell us some stories about what you've had to go through and how you've had to believe God in the midst of this? And as they started to tell us stories with tears in their eyes, you could see everybody that was sitting down there listening to them was like uh, faith begin to stir in their heart. Trust in the Lord begin to stir in their heart. Because they didn't waste a moment of what they went through, as difficult as it was. They were an example to me. Amen? All right, so scripture references. Do I need to do this? I'm going to. Number one, Jesus healed all who came to him. Right, there's several verses that say this. Matthew chapter, or second, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, 9, 35, 10, 1. Jesus healed every kind of sickness and disease. So there's two different References that we can make. First is Jesus healed all who came to him. Second, Jesus healed every kind of sickness and disease that those who came to him had. Number three, Mark 6, 1 through 6. Could Jesus heal everybody? That's a great question. Because people try to separate Jesus from us. Could Jesus heal everybody? Jesus could heal everybody that came to him. But in Mark chapter 6... The Bible said that he could not do many miracles in his hometown, Nazareth, because of their unbelief. This is the Son of God. This isn't us. So that excuse doesn't apply when we see we have to have the theology of what, what even was going on. He could not do many miracles there except that he could heal a few people. But you know what he could do in Nazareth? It says that he went around teaching in their synagogues. So teaching could happen, but miracle signs, wonders, and healings were very much hindered. And I think the same is true for us when we talk about having an atmosphere of faith to see pe pe those of us that are sick healed. I think that if, if we don't have an environment where people believe for these things to happen, I think it's kind of like creating a Nazareth. Right? Like even for me, like it, the Bible says a prophet is without honor in his own home. So like I go all around and I minister at these places and God gives me like all this stuff and then sometimes when I come home, I have to press in to be used by God here at times because it's harder. And there are times like, oh, well, that's just Ben, you know, he was just goofing around just, just an hour ago or I saw him snap at his child, you know. They just, they just, we just reduce everybody down to make ourselves feel better. You know how we do that. You don't do that though, of course. But it's because there's a familiarity there. There's a familiarity there. Oh, man, I have something to say. Should I say it? Wife, should I say it? I should. 
This is like edit. I, this, this, is, this is hard for me to say. This isn't just about healing. I think this happens in other areas, and we have to change. Guys, can you hear me? We have to change. Like when a pastor falls, do you know that there's usually two responses that happen in people? And I say this, and maybe this isn't you, but this happens. When a pastor falls, first, there's anger and bitterness. I can't believe that hypocrite, that stupid idiot, that, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then, in many of us, there's almost a sense of relief that that person isn't, isn't as spiritual as I thought they were, and it makes me feel a little better. Now, you don't have to confess that you've ever felt that way, but I'll tell you, that's something that happens. It's like when people are in an accountability group, and they're all growing into a place of Christ-likeness, and somebody's doing really good, and then all of a sudden they fall off the wagon, and they come and they confess that, and then everybody in that group feels a little bit better. And they go, oh, you know what, I kind of did the same thing. Kind of gives us a little reprieve, a little relief. That's why people go to churches where pastors cuss and drink up a storm and don't believe the gospel or believe that you have to change. That's why we don't like preachers that tell us we got to change. So we try to judge them and say, well, they can't be that holy. They can't be what they say they are, even though they may not be saying it. That's how we're hearing it because we have a guilty conscience. Nobody relates to this, right? You guys aren't hearing me on this, are you? I'll be honest with you. I've actually felt that way before. Maybe, maybe you haven't and you're, you're doing better than me, but I've actually felt that way before. And those are evil thoughts that go through us because we have those tendencies. We have those tendencies. And God is cleaning us out so that instead of making an environment like a Nazareth, we're building it up to be a place that's like heaven, that all things are possible when we come together, that love is just the electricity of this room and this environment. We're not skeptical. We're not doubting each other. We're not projecting each other's motives. And we don't have the right to do that anyways, but we do. And God will deal with all of that stuff in each one of us. But we carry what heaven is like. And when we come together, that's what it looks like. And all things become possible to them who believe. But when we've got 100 people in a room and there's only a few of us that are believing that look crazy... We marginalize the crazy people, and then what's normal is nothing. What's normal is coming, sitting, singing, and leaving. That's not normal Christianity. It's not normal. It's not normal for us to come, sing, sit, listen, leave. But there's a way to contribute to this environment where we're not a critic. Because that's not normal either. Critics come and critics go, but we bring solutions by coming with faith. We believe that God wants to use us, not because we're amazing, but because he gave us power and we want to steward that well. And we ask God, give, put gifts in my hands to give away. Right? That's a prayer. Before you walk in those doors, every time you go to a meeting, this isn't Christianity. This is just a place where we gather that's explosive or at least has the potential to be explosive, like anything could happen. And if we didn't walk in here tonight, or we don't walk in here on Sunday, or we don't walk into our church thinking that, God wants to renew our mind so that we can be a contributor to an environment that is so faith-filled, everything and anything is absolutely possible according to the word. And that becomes our normal. 
In Acts chapter 5, verse 15, people brought out all their sick, kind of like the streets, uh, they're kind of like side streets where they were, where the apostles were, and it says that they were hoping that Peter's shadow would hit them so they might be healed. Sometimes people say that Peter's shadow did touch people and he was healed. It doesn't actually say that. It was just saying that they hoped people were in such faith that were sick that they would, they would say, lay me out on the street and maybe his shadow will touch me. I mean, that's like a whole different ball game from people who are like, well, that Benny Hinn is such a fake and phony, you know. It's like that's kind of like becomes normal. Well, maybe he is. I don't know. But you're not, I mean, gosh, man. I want to be like the guy that got his friend to Jesus and lifted the tiles in the roof and lowered him down somehow. That sort of seems odd to me. I just want to be that person. I don't, I don't want to be the other kind of person. I don't want to be the Pharisee. Right? I want to be the person that picks up the stretcher. There's, there's a difference. Right? You get to choose who you want to be, and I, that's, that's who I, I want to be, and I'm encouraging you to, to, to be like that. Now, the function of the gifts of healing, restoration. Through, through this gift, God restores bodies and minds, clearly. Revival. Through this gift, God will often spark a personal or a corporate revival in or among people. I've seen that happen many, many times. Maybe you've seen that happen as well, maybe in, in your own life. And this issue has become a source of pain for some of us, as we talked about, because things haven't happened the way that we've prayed or thought. Confirmation. One-third of the Gospels reveal the healing ministry of Jesus, and then, as I said, the apostles continued that. And there are two places where it says that the signs, wonders, miracles, the healings attested to the Gospel message that they preached. And there are people today that, that say that because we have the Bible, we no longer need signs, wonders, miracles, and healings. But we still need the power of God to attest to the reality of the gospel. And if you don't know that, please come with me to a place where we can clearly feel how helpless we are. And if power doesn't come, then we are screwed. The times where I go to another country and, and I don't speak the language and my, my, so my language doesn't translate, my stories don't translate, my dumb humor, which for some reason a few of you laugh at, that doesn't even translate. And I've got nothing, I have nothing, no anecdotes, no illustrations, nothing translates, nothing. All I have is my knowledge of the word and my trust in God's power. That is all that I have. And when you're stripped down to a helplessness and you all of a sudden feel like I've got nothing but whatever God does, that is absolutely a great place to be, to teach us to step out into trusting what this is talking about. It's amazing, we need those opportunities in our life. And again, I'm not saying God authors all of them, but when we set ourselves intentionally into those places, like, I tell people, like, if you want to learn how to prophesy, just go to Walmart tonight. This is, you want to learn how to prophesy, I'm going I'm to teach you right now. It's really amazing. Five easy, two, one easy step to prophecy. You don't have to pay $19.95 for this. It's free. <laughs> Check this out. Go to Walmart. Walk up to the, to the clerk and just say, hey, God spoke to me for you. And I want to share, share that with you. Is that, is that okay? And, and she or he will go, sure. Okay, Lord, I need a word now. That might sound crazy to you, but put yourself, I, I, and maybe it is, but put yourself in a place where you need something from God. Why do we wait till we preach a sermon? And then all of a sudden, oh, now I gotta, 
Now I really got to pray. Now I really got to, because I got to put my notes together. I don't want to sound like an idiot. You know, it's like we could, we could live like that. I mean, I know you're probably not excited about that. But we could literally live in a place of need because we put ourselves into a place where God has to show up in order to, for something to happen. And of course, I'm not saying that has to be crazy looking all the time. I'm just saying if you want to learn because you're stuck or you don't know how to just activate yourself, it's just one easy step. Put yourself into a place of need. And if you don't know how to do it, you walk up to me tonight and I will put you in a place of need. I will. And it will be good for you. I've done it before where people will come and I'll actually pull somebody out of the crowd and I'll say, okay, I want you to pray. And let's say there'd be like 40 people here. Even at one time there was like 20. I want you to pray and I want you to, I want you to look at somebody and I want you to ask God for a word, a scripture, a thought. Just some, let, let, let the Lord give you something. Absorb that into your heart. And then I want you to share it with them. We're just going to wait on the Lord. And then I just start to pray. I don't put them, I mean, I've already put them on the spot. So I just start to pray. Thank you, Lord. And I've had people leave the church because I've done that. Because we're not used to, do, we're not used to doing anything. I wasn't trying to upset them. I wasn't trying to embarrass them. I mean, I, for whatever reason, they were at my meeting, which I thought that sort of gave me the right to, I thought, I, you know, Dave, this is dangerous, don't you? You realize that, you know, like I see you when you leave and when you come in and like I kind of have somewhat of a photographic memory. So I pretty much remember like your MO, like you get that, right? You realize like none of you get out of this. Like if you think you're slipping anything, no, not at all. No, not at all. From beginning to end, I remember everything that happens. And I love you, so that's a good thing. That's really, that's really powerful. But my point is, is that coming to this is that dangerous or it's that helpful. It depends on your attitude. It depends on our hearts. And I, if you want to throw me out there, go for it. That's fine. That's okay. See, I'm teaching you the principles that got me to a place where it was okay. And it doesn't mean that I'm prideful in the sense that, oh, I'm, I'm going to be amazing. Like, I totally might fall. It might flop. I might look stupid. It's okay. It's okay. Is it okay for you? Is it okay to like kind of feel, look stupid a little bit once in a while? You got to be okay with that. I remember one time when I started speaking, I started preaching, and, and I never asked to preach anywhere, but like all of a sudden this thing started happening, and I was sitting with this a pastor friend, this is kind of way back when, and I, I don't know what it was, I was just sort of telling him like, you know, I just don't want to, I don't want it to sound bad, and I don't want my theology to be bad. And I remember he put his hand on my hand, and he looked me in the face and said, he said, Ben, sometimes your sermons are going to be bad. Sometimes you're going to blow it. And that's all he said. I mean, so that was it. But believe it or not, that helped me because it gave me confidence to be able to stand up and just be myself and be comfortable in my own skin and give what I have. And trust that what I have is from the Lord. Some of it's me. I'm not blaming it all on him. But some of it's me. And I just, I'm going to be where I'm at. And I want to grow. And I want to I I be used by God. I'm hungry to see people grow. And when I was younger, sure, I wasn't thinking as much about people. But now that I'm growing, I, I think about people all the time. I grieve when somebody's not walking with the Lord. I relate to Paul when he says, like, I, my heart is that you might be, like, that you might be in, come to full maturity in Christ, like as a father, as a mother would, would, would care for someone. I, I, I feel that way, literally. I feel a sense of responsibility over people. And they, some of them might give me the middle finger as far as I know. They might not even care that I care. I mean, honestly, that, that we've had, my wife and I have had hundreds of interns, and sometimes you lose people, and they just don't even care that you care. But you still, you just go after it. You know, you go after it, right? 
Am I getting off on rabbit trails? Man, this is good. I don't know what we're going to edit here, but. Okay, number three, the working of miracles. And I really got to wrap this thing up. I think it's been at least Andre's going to post another thing on the Facebook page that says something about when, how long I preach. But I preach till I'm done. That's, that's the good thing about me. All right, the ability to perform supernatural acts which clearly demonstrate God's power over natural elements for his purposes. All right, again, this is supernatural, okay? Sometimes we use the word miracle like in, a, like in ways that it's not. Okay, like, wow, that baby being born, that was a miracle. No, that was a mom and a dad, you know, nine months. I mean, God instituted this to, it feels miraculous. The moment feels powerful. I mean, it feels amazing. Or in some instances, it feels, but anyway, so. (laughs) I mean, it could be kind of rough. Be kind of rough for those of you that haven't had children yet. It's amazing. <laughs> Speaking from my side of things, no muss, no fuss. It's amazing. Um, this is going over well to the woman in the back there. But we, we, my point is, we misuse the word miracle. Like that's that's such a miracle. That is a miracle. No, a miracle is where God supernaturally intervenes in in the natural course of things. That's a miracle. Right? A miracle is when five loaves and two fish were, were multiplied. That's a, that's a miracle. When Jesus walked on the water, that's a miracle. That can't happen. You can't walk on water. Try it. You can't. It won't work unless a miracle happens, a supernatural intervention, a miracle of provision, right? A miracle, like, again, a healing is where something that's wrong is made right, but a creative miracle is where something's not there, like a leg grows out. That's a creative miracle. It's not just a healing. It's more than a healing. It's a creative miracle. Where an eardrum is, is not there anymore, but an eardrum forms in its place. That's a creative miracle. God does creative miracles for his purposes, for his glory. He does these things, right? So the workings of miracles is the power of God through, flowing through a person's life for God's purposes. We need this. You know, look at these scriptures that I have. Jesus healed the man who was blind from birth. He had, to, he had a deformity or a deficiency, and God healed him, and that was a creative miracle. P- Peter healed a man that was lame from birth in Acts chapter 3. That, I, I remember we were here one, this was way back in the day. I wasn't actually going to the church here, and there was a man that was preaching, and uh, there was a guy who had, who had a, I don't know what they call it, but they had, he had a hand that was like this, and it was like that from birth. It was just like this, you know, like where your hand is deformed, and it can't, you can't open your hand. You know, what do they call that? Does anybody know? Cleft? Like, it's just like this, and you can't move your fingers, it's just bound and they prayed and nobody laid hands on him but his hand went like that I remember when we were at YWAM and we prayed for a girl who had been deaf since birth and her ear went pop after 20 minutes of praying and for the first time two week or a week before she was going to the Philippines uh, to the mission field God opened her ears so she could hear clearly she could still hear, hear clearly to this day that's a miracle because she didn't have in her ears what it, t- what it took to hear. She didn't have that. Those are miracles. Um, there's a, Paul raised the young man from the dead. He was speaking like me. He was speaking so long that somebody fell asleep and he fell out of a window. In Acts chapter 20, which is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Praise God because the Lord will revive. Amen. He'll do what he needs to do to get this party started. Okay. And then Paul went on teaching again, which is exactly what I would do. Praise the Lord. 
shoot, I'll just go Facebook Live if I have to if you guys fall out. It's all right. It's like, well, apparently this is over, but live stream, I hope you still are all there. All right. Live by Periscope. We just thank God for those that are still in the room or out the room in this case. But that was a resurrection miracle. God raises the dead. We have a friend, I, I get to go to Sri Lanka again, uh, Les, Dr. Leslie Kegel. And I don't know, they've seen a dozen or so people raised from the dead. He told me some stories. I can't repeat them. But <laughs> He's such a humble man. It, you just, I, I, as I sit with him, I, he's the kind of guy that you sit with and you just sort of tremble because the presence of God is so strong around him. And then I go out to Sri Lanka and I was with him and he was telling me a story and about somebody being raised from the dead. And it was, I mean, they've had times where, I, I won't get into it, but it's, but that stuff happens today. In the Bible, people were actually transported from one place to another. I mean, let me ask you, if you're skeptic in this room, what do you do with that stuff when you read the Bible? Let me just ask you that question. Do you just say, well, God did that some, you know, back then because that's just, you know, what he needed to do? I mean, what do you do with that? I mean, how do you even come to that place where it's like, oh, sure, like there was a person like that was in one city and, and in one second they were in another. I mean, what do you physically, literally do with that in your head, in your cranium? What do you do with that? Like it actually happened. Like you believe, well, it actually happened because it's not right here, right now. And so you can kind of justify the fact that you don't have to deal with that. But for me, I read that like a child and I go, come on. And I'm not asking God necessarily to transport me from here to Africa, but man, it would be pretty cool. I just paid $1,600 for a plane ticket to Sri Lanka. It'd be kind of nice. And I don't see why God can't do what he wants to do. I'm not saying that we wake up in the morning and, 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 and pray that we don't have to drive to work. I'm, I'm just saying that stuff happens, right? Stuff happens. Jesus walked on water. It really happened. Ladies and gentlemen, it really happened. Yeah.